Well, if you will open in your Bibles, we're going to be in three different places here today. And we were going to have our ch- all of our children here with us, but uh, a number of them had to, to stay home for reasons that parents were staying there or something like that. But we are glad to have you all here. First Corinthians chapter 9 is where we're going to begin. How many of you know that there always seem to be people around you who want to change you? They want you to change for them. They want you to do something for them. Now, it's framed in a way that it sounds like it's going to benefit you. Can you do this for me? And they frame it in such a way that tell you all the benefits that you will have if you can do this for them. Always people wanting things to do. Now, often we find ourselves in the same position that Paul was in Acts chapter 21 where people told him, we need you to do this, and he did it, and it didn't benefit him at all. How many people in your life want to change something about you? Should you change what they want? What things can we change without compromising or losing ourselves? And what things are we supposed to stand firm in? Will you gain more people? Will more people support you if you do the changes that they want? These are the questions we're going to be focusing on today and looking in as we're developing our support team, getting people around us to help us that are support to us. These are questions we need to have the answers to and questions we need to know about. And we're going to take a look at that, some of the teachings that Paul does in Corinthians. And then we're going to take a look at how he, how this affected his life over in the book of Acts. Last week we were looking at selfishness that just as most people or just as many people think they are faithful, but the Word of God says that few are. We spent a whole series on faithfulness. We saw that the Word of God said many people think they are faithful, but God doesn't find them to be. Many people think they are not selfish, but they would be surprised to find out that God sees them as being selfish. We looked at Paul last week and he said there's only two people I know that have the same mindset that I do. Himself and of course Timothy. That was it. Of all the people he had in ministry, that was it. We can probably have a long way to go to get selfishness completely out of our relationships, out of the way we view things. In 1 Corinthians 9, verse 19, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. Now he says, though I am free, he is free. Does Paul make himself to be something he is not to help other people? Read that verse again. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. Doesn't sound like Paul has made a change in himself to help other people, even though it doesn't help him necessarily. I'm free, he's basically saying. But I have made myself a servant to all that I may win them. Now take a look at the next verse. And to the Jews, I became as a Jew that I might win Jews. To those who were under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ. 
that I may win those who are without law. To the weak, I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some, now lest I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be partaker of it with you. So Paul is saying, when I get in with a group of people, and that group of people has a hard time with the law, I become as one without it. When I get with a group of people who's focused on the law, I become as one with it. When I get around people that are weak, I become as weak. He, he alters, he changes some of the things about himself in order to help him win the people that are around him. So he asked this question, who I am, well that's not the right question here, but who I am is my being. That's who, who you are, that's who you are right now being. I am being the person that I am. Nothing real deep there, that's <laughs> whoever I am, that's who I'm being. That's me being them, them now. You, whatever it is that you are, you may be being mature. You may be being immature. You may be being male. You may be being female. You may be being old. You may be being young. Whatever you are is what you are being. That's what you are now. Some of those things you can change. Some of those things you cannot. Just who you are. Now, I put this in your outline, I believe. What I want to be is who I want to become and continue to be. How many of you want to be, have, have a vision of you being something different than you are? Anybody have a vision of something different than you are? Ladies were doing a vision board yesterday. Isn't that vision board something different than who you are right now? If you're poor, maybe on your vision board is being rich or richer. If, if you're, whatever it is that you're not, if you put it on that board, it says, I am not that right now, but I want to become this. And so we put that out there. This is what I want to be. I, I have some maturity in my Christian walk, but I want more. I want, I am being somewhat mature. I want to become more. This is where I want to go. This is what I want to do. So what I want to be, is who I want to become and continue to be. I don't want to just hit that level and stay there. I want to hit that level. I'm sorry, hit that level and then come back back off of it. I want to hit that level and stay there and then maybe go to another level above that. Here's my, my vision. Here's my board. This is what I see that I can do. This is what I want to do. What I need, what I need to be is what those around me need me to be for them. So what I want to be is what I want to become and continue to be. What I need to be is what those around me need me to be or to become for them. That's my need. My desire, my want to, this is what I want to become for me. This is what I want to be able to do. What I need... There's people around you that depend on you, people around you that God has, has put you in their life and you're trying to help them. What you need is to become what they need you to be. When we were younger, 
Some of us are at that age now. Some of us were at that age before. And we got married and we became parents. We had to become the mom and dad that we needed to be. We weren't that way yet. We had to become that. Not because of anything for me, but for the people that were now in my life. I have kids now in my life and they need me to be a father. They need me to be a mother. They need me to be something that I wasn't before. So what I want to be is what is who I want to become and continue to be. What I need to be is what those around me need to become, need me to become for them. There's a need there. If you don't have, if you all you have is the first one, you don't have anything in the second, you're not in ministry. Your life is selfish. I just want to become things because I want to become them. There ought to be something in my life. I say, I need to be this because so-and-so in my life needs me to be this way. So there's two aspects of that that we are. I'm not those things now, but I need to become them. And so I focus on that to, to become that. I'm not reaching those I want or need. The ones I need to, the ones I want to. See, then the responsibility for change, that falls on me. This is what Paul was talking about. I have a certain level of freedom, but I need to become what the people that God put me in the middle of the minister to, I need to become what they need so that I can minister to them, so I can win them over. If our focus is just on what I'm going to become, then I will have no focus on what I need to be for others. And my life will be very selfish. I will pass myself off as mature because I'm trying to grow. I'm trying to become mature. I'm trying to do things for God. But I'm not, there is no need that I'm trying to accomplish to help other people. If I don't ever find out those needs that are around me, I will never develop my support team because I won't ever put anything into them substantial that will get them to the place where they need to be a support for me. Nor will you be a support for them. So I put this in your outline, I believe. So there is who I am, who I want to be, and what I need to become for others. Three aspects of it. There is who I am, there is who I want to be, and there's what I need to become for other people. You ought to have these things in, in focus. If you don't know who you are, I won't know the path to get me from here to where I want to be. If I don't know who I am, I won't know the path to get me to who I need to be. I got to know who I am. I got to have a realistic view of who I am. How many people know people who do not have a realistic view of who they are? They think of themselves as completely different than you think of themselves. They see themselves as more mature. They see themselves as more able. Uh, they just don't have a real good handle of what they can actually do. You've got to have a realistic view of where you are, who you are, in order for you to set the right path of where you're going. This is the thing that you've got to do. How many people use Google Maps? Anybody use Google Maps out there? Uh, they changed this, I don't know, a year or two ago. I don't know when it was. They changed something in this. But um, I would call this... Uh, I would call this up in the, when I'm delivering bunk beds, um, I do everything. The only thing I do in, in Mozilla Firefox, the only thing I do is everything bunk bed or oriented. Because for whatever the reason, 
Anybody use Gmail? Gmail works completely different in Firefox than it does in Chrome. It is so much different, I won't use it in Chrome, even though that's the company that made it. If you've never tried it, try, try using Google or, or Gmail in Firefox. It is such a night and day difference, I won't even go over to the, to the other one. There are, man, you may never even see what some, some, some what it does, but a lot of times I'm sending files of pictures to people, and my files, they're all put in different, different um, folders. And so when I'm in Firefox, I hit a couple of uh, folders, and one of the pictures in this folder, one of the pictures is in this folder, one of the pictures is in this folder. I just select them all, and Firefox just puts them all together and sends it out. Not so with Google or Chrome. Chrome, nope, you gotta, you got to be in one file folder. No, no, no. We can't pick that other one because that's in another file folder. Are you kidding me? So I don't even mess with it. But one of the things that I noticed that they had changed was uh, when I was in Firefox and I was hitting the, the Google Maps, it would just assume my home address. And so anytime, wherever I was at, it would just assume my home address and it would plot out where I'm going. So if they want to, you know, how much is it going to cost to deliver to such and such a place? And so I would just call up the, the thing, punch in their address, and I would uh, come up with a thing, you know, it is uh, 69 miles from here to there. It's 72 miles, it's 55, it's whatever miles that it is, and it gives me a time on how long it would get there. Not so anymore. Somewhere they changed it along, and so now you have to pick your location. So every time I do this, I have to pick my home. It has my home in there, and it's got a few other locations that I, that I seem to frequent. And so I have me picked it or I can pick another one. I don't want that. I'm always leaving from home. Because I load the bunk bed up. It's at home. It's no place else. It's there. That's where it was made. And so it, it's just an extra step. But, you know, I got to keep telling it. I, it wants to know where are you so that we can tell you how to get there. Because if it wants to tell me directions from Philadelphia and I'm in, in Montgomeryville, then the directions are going to be different. You have got to know where you are in order to map out a place where you're going to. Otherwise, you're going to skip some steps. We don't want to, to necessarily do that. We want to know how to get there from where we're at. <clears throat> now, who are those around you? You not only got to know who you are, you got to know the people that are around you. Who are the people that are around you? However old you are, you can be 5, you can be 10, you can be 15, you can be 95. It makes no difference. There's people around you. You've got to know who they are. Because the people that God will call you to minister to are the people that are around you. You've got to know who they are. You have to know where they are. If you don't know who they are and where they are, how are you going to minister to them? <clears throat> now, I wrote down some things. They're in my outline. They're not in yours because I ran out of space. But of those people that are around me, or of the people that are around me, I need to know four things about them. You might be able to write in some more things. I just wrote down four for this. First off, what they like. How many of you have friends in your life and you know the things that they like? You're out shopping somewhere and you see something. Oh, so-and-so would like that. How did you come to that conclusion? Because you know the people. You know who's who's there. You knew Maybe some of the conversations they had. Oh, I'm looking for this. Oh, I would like to have this. And so you know some of the things that they would like. You know what they're like. And so 
you can, you can help them. If you're studying the Word of God and the Word of God comes alive to you, oh, I didn't see that before. Oh, so-and-so needs to hear this. Why? Because I know so-and-so is going through this. That's something that we ought to be thinking about. Just because God shared something with you does not mean He just gave it for you. You gotta expand your thoughts. There's other people in your life. It's, it may be good for you, but after you get what was good for you, oh, who can I share this with? Who else could use this? Because what you're getting is spiritual material. And if you just take the spiritual material and just use it for yourself, you're not helping anybody and you're not building any support. You're not building support in others. And you're not giving them any reason to support you. No, one of the things i got to be thinking about is whenever God speaks something to me, oh, I appreciate that. Oh, I like that. That's, that's good. Now, who can I share that with? Who can I give that to beside? That's something that you ought to be thinking about. Because God just gave you spiritual building blocks. Those things build a lot. Here's the second one. Where are they going? Where are they going? What kind of things... Are they pursuing? Where are they going? This is so you know how to encourage them. Now I'm going through this list. Don't be going in your mind. Yeah, nobody does this for me. If you do that, you already moved yourself into a selfish relationship and that's why you're not growing. You've got to be thinking outside of yourself. i got to be thinking of others. If that's where your mind goes, that's why you got some of the problems that you got. You don't have to go any further. You don't need any spiritual wisdom from God. God's already spoken it to you. There's your issue. Because you always look to yourself. What am I getting? What am I not getting? Who is not providing what I want? you got to get out of that mentality. That's a selfish mentality that masquerades as a religious mentality so that people don't always recognize it as flesh. Here's the third one. Their desire for growth. How much do they want to grow? That tells you how much you ought to feed them. Now you think about this. When your kids were growing up and you were making, they were young. Some of you have to think back on this one. <laughs> but they were young and you would make up their plates. You made up their plates based on what? What they would eat and how much they would eat. Because they're, they're young. And you want to be able to help them out. They, they can't always go in and, and scoop the stuff up. And if they do, we have accidents. We have problems. We don't want to have those problems. And so when the kids are young, we are making their plates up and we're putting them in front. You know, we, at Chenzo's over there, we're making up Chenzo's plate. We don't put carrots on Chenzo's plate. There's no need for that. <laughs> He's not going to eat them. <laughs> Now, now, Lumi's a little bit different. She might eat the carrots. If there are peas on the table, she will consume them all. She will find your peas. And she will take them. She will say, peas? She wants all the peas. And the other kids are just fine with that, too. Here, Lumi, have my peas. <laughs> you're gonna, you're gonna, but you see, you, you know the, you know each person. You know their appetite. You know how much they're going to eat. You know what they're going to eat. You know, Lissy, she has superpowers. I've never seen a kid with superpowers. Like, every every kid has superpowers or something. She has superpowers. You ever wonder, 
go on back there and find out. We would give her, we would all do this. Mama would do this. Nani would do this. I would do this. Papa, we would all do this. We would give her a spoonful, and in that spoonful is sandwiched a vegetable. A sliver of a carrot. Maybe an entire pea. That's too easy, though. We, 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 we learn we can't just do a whole pea. We do a sliver. A shredded carrot. And we would put that in there. And don't you know, she's young. She's just little. She's chewing and chewing and chewing and chewing. And she swallowed everything but the, the little piece of carrot. And out it would come. I've never seen a kid be able to do that. <laughs> just absolute superpowers on, on that. She could find them. Never complained. Didn't sit there chewing and say, oh, yuck. No, she just chewed normal. And just chew and chew and chew. And, and she did a swallow. And then out would come whatever it is that she did. How did you find that? I don't know how she found it. Absolutely amazing. But you see, when you do this, you know their desire for growth. You know what kind of things that they'll eat. You may say, well, so-and-so could use this, but they won't eat it. So uh, God may share something with you. Oh, so-and-so could use this, but I'm not ready for that right now. And so you just kind of hold it back for them for, for later on. Find a time when they could when they could do it. So, what they like, where they're going, their desire for growth, and lastly, their level of maturity. That influences everything. Their level of maturity. Some people, they just aren't very mature. Now, I learned this a long time ago. I went up on the internet, though, just to see if I could remember who taught it to me. I think I know. I'll tell it to you. Uh, this was years and years and years ago, and I know I've given this to you before, but we're going to give it to you again because probably you forget it. Um, I, I'm pretty sure this is John Maxwell who taught this to us. And he made this statement. He said, um, the person who is the most mature does the most changing. The person who is the most mature does the most changing. In a relationship, whether it be husband and wife, whether it be child and parent, whether it be workers, employers, whatever, but any relationship that you've got, this is something he taught us. The weaker person controls the relationship. Now you may say, no, 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 the stronger person controls the relationship. No, the weaker person. The weaker person in the, in the relationship controls it. That's not something I'm telling you. You can actually go up online and do a search and you'll find all kinds of people that are saying this. I'm pretty sure John was the one I heard say it first. One of the conferences or someplace, maybe it's just the tape I was listening to. Here's a scenario for you to, uh, to figure this out. When I was looking for this, this person put up a couple of scenarios. I don't know who they were, but I thought, no, this is good. Uh, if two people are on a hike, one person is physically fit and they hike all the time. The other one, they don't hardly ever hike. And they're not in good shape. Who controls the speed of that journey? Who controls the speed of that hike? Who controls the intensity of that hike? Not the stronger one, does it? The weaker one. The person who is weaker will control that. Here's another one that they put up. A couple's been married for several years. The husband is, is he, he's outgoing. The wife, she's kind of shy and withdrawn. And the, the two of them, they gave an invitation to go somewhere. And so the husband encourages his wife, his shy wife, 
come on, let's go out and have some fun. But the wife is a little too insecure to commit, so the couple compromises and does something special at home instead. Who controlled that relationship? <laughs> you would be surprised, folks. Even with parents and children, the weaker one will control the relationship. You've got to learn how to be strong without being nasty. You've got to learn how to be strong without just being forceful. We've got to learn how to, how to help these things out. Now, that's, that's not just the concept that you'll see in the world. Folks, you'll see this in the Bible. Who controlled the relationship with Abraham and Sarah? Who controlled that relationship? Sarah. Who was the stronger one? Abraham. Who's the one God showed up to? Who's the one God spoke to? <laughs> uh-huh. Who's the stronger one with Jesus and his disciples? Jesus. Who controlled what Jesus taught? Who controlled it? I'll, I'll take you back to a couple of spots. You remember when, when Peter came out and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the Most High? Remember when he came out and said that? And Jesus said to him, Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And from that point on, he began to teach him about his death and resurrection. Why? Because now they were able to handle it. Why did Jesus teach him parables? Because there were some weaker, weaker people in the crowd that he had to teach around. I could keep going with this too. I mean, <laughs> there are so many examples of this in the Word of God. Remember when Paul wrote to the to the uh, Corinthians, I would to give you meat, but instead, milk. 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 Why did he do that? Because of the weaker people. Weaker. He had to adjust to the weaker people. He was strong enough to give them, give them something more. You see, the more mature, the stronger person is able to adjust more, is able to change more. The weaker one are not. I, I, I'll give it to you this way. I brought these up for an example. If you, sh if you were Paul and you showed up and Paul on this particular day was blue, not that he felt blue, just, uh, this is, this is the, this is Paul. Paul comes in, he says, this is, this is I am. And the, the people there said, Paul, we don't, we don't want a blue Paul, we want an orange Paul. Oh, what would Paul do? He'd become orange. He would change himself to be that. Now, he came in, why did he come in blue? Because there's something they needed with him being this way. But they wouldn't receive it. So what did he do? Alright. Let's give you what you can receive. And he came in differently. When Jesus came in to do miracles in a particular place, he was prepared to, if he was prepared to do miracles, God was prepared to do miracles, right? And he came in and the word of God said he could do there no mighty work. Why? Because of their unbelief. Who controlled that? Did Jesus control it? Did God control it? Who controlled it? People in unbelief. Most times, folks, we don't have something in a relationship. It's because the weaker one has shut it off. We got to be careful about that. You look at it this this way. I, uh, even it with the, with the kids, more kids were here. I, I, 
tell to the ones that are here anyway. You know as a parent that when you have kids and they behave, you can do more things. If they misbehave, you can't do some things because they controlled it. You would like to take them out and do other things and go other places, but they'll misbehave. And so you can't do it. You're not able to take them in the direction that you'd want to go. And if you have two kids, three kids, four kids, five kids, whatever it is, and you have all of them together, who controls what that group of kids gets to do? Is it the parents? It is the kid with the greatest behavioral problem. It is the weaker one of the group. Everyone else has to adjust because of the one. If you got a, a family out and one of the kids throws a fit and the other, the other ones are just obedient and doing what they need to do and they finally decide we, we need to get up, we need to go, why did they go? Because of the weaker one. We miss out on a lot of things with God because we have decided to be the weaker one. We miss out on people in our lives being the support that we need because we have decided to be the weaker one. We have decided that I will not adjust. Everyone will adjust to me. I'm in a blue mood. You will respond to me as one who's in a blue mood. How many of you have people in your, in your life that when they're a certain way, that's how they're going to be. Does that restrict how much support you will get from them? How much help you will get from them? When we were kids, and we are going to have so-and-so come over and play, and we would begin to think, if so-and-so comes over to play, and they don't want to do what I want to do, they're going to throw a fit. I don't want to go through that right now. And so they may call up and say, hey, you want, you want to get outside and play? And we say, no. Why? Because I don't want to put up with the fit. We, we learned that early on. We learned that when we're young. We've got to stop being the weaker one. You see, what Paul is saying is, he has to be the stronger one. And if people need him to adjust, he needs to adjust to help them out. The stronger person is the one who can adjust the most. The weaker one is the one who cannot. If I refuse to adjust, I can be affected by, but will have little effect on others. The more you choose to walk a life of not adjusting to the people around you, you can affect them in a negative way, but not a positive way. If I won't adjust... I cannot have the positive effect I want. If I can't have the positive effect, I can't put into them the things I need to get the support I need. So Paul adjusted to those less mature than himself. And he didn't put them down for it. He adjusted to them. Now there are times that he got a little stern with them and said, hey, y'all need to grow up. I'd like to be able to do some other things with you, but I can't. But you never did that as parents, did you? You never said to your kids, look, if you don't stop doing this, we can't do these anymore. <laughs> you never said that. Of course you did. 
And we all heard it as, as, as kids. And then we said it as parents. And then our kids, when they grow up, they'll do the same thing. You see, I think I'm sowing into other people, but I'm actually draining. I'm draining them. I think I'm helping them, but I'm not. Because this person has said, you won't adjust to me, you won't change anything, and I have to change to you. So they shut down on what they receive. I think I'm sowing into these people, and when I need to, I can call on that and have that support back, but I'm not. I'm not sowing into them. At least they don't see it as me sowing into them. And if they don't see it as me sowing into them, I, I didn't sow. I may have wanted to, but I didn't sow into them. And that's why you're not gaining some things. That's why it is that sometimes people can put a lot out. They, they say, I keep putting things out. I keep helping people. I keep doing things. I don't get anything back because you shut it down. You gotta quit shutting it down. When you have that attitude, when you get, raise your voice, when you get angry at all kinds of things, when you demand, you've gotta stop doing that. You can't do that anymore. And I, I don't make any adjustments. I expect you to make all the adjustments to me. Whatever I do to sow into them, it, it doesn't, it won't be there when I need it. That's why some Christians, they're out there, they're in other people's lives, they're sowing, they're trying to get support, but when they try and draw off of it, it's not there. Now, if I become what other people want, I won't be who God made me and contribute what God intended. If all you do is become what other people want, that's all you do. If you just are always adjusted, and you always become what other people want, then you never develop the gifts that God's given you in that person's life. You don't ever speak the things that God tells you to speak. You don't take those spiritual blocks that he, that he has and do anything with them. You need to become what God intended so you can be what others need. If I don't ever become what God intended me to be, I can never be what others need me to be that God put me in their life for. I have to make sure that I become what they need. What God says they need. Not what they, just what they want. What they need. It's kind of like when the kids are little. How many of y'all know it is not hard to get kids to eat candy? Unless you're Mia. Mia won't eat chocolate. I don't know what's wrong with that girl. <laughs> she, just, she just don't like chocolate. And um, you can put that in front of her. Nope, not eat it. She's not going to do it. But most kids, you put candy and chocolate and stuff like that in front of them, they'll gobble it up. But not so much on the good stuff. And so as a parent, we had to step in and stop them from eating the junk stuff and get them to be eating the good stuff. But you got to become what God wants you to be. That starts young. Make sure you become what you need to be. Now, here's, here's what I want you to see. We read those verses in chapter 9 about how he became weak, how he became a Jew, how he became as one under the law. 
all those things. He became that so that he could help them in the same book. Chapter 15, look at 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Huh? All right, first off, you're telling me, become, become weak, become under law, become the Jew, become all these things that they need, and now he says, be steadfast. Immovable. Does that seem like it describes Paul in chapter 9? Doesn't it seem like he was doing some moving? Then he made some changes? So what kind of, I ask this question, what kind of things are we supposed to stay steadfast in, immovable? Because how many of you have some people in your life that are steadfast and immovable and it drives you crazy? You don't like it. What kind of things is he talking about here about being steadfast and immovable? I put this in your outline for you. I can change my expression of myself, but not myself. I can exchange, I can change how that self is expressed, but I can't change necessarily who I am. Not at the moment. I can grow and become something different, but who I am right now is who I am. But I can change the expression of that. In other words, you can put it this way. I can be angry at the moment, but not express it. I can be disappointed, but not express it. I can be happy and joyful, but not express it. I can be something, but not express it. Sometimes expressing what we feel is not appropriate. If you were at a funeral and you're all standing outside by the, the graveside, you're waiting for the thing to begin, and you know people are somber and people are, are uh, reverent, you're, you're there at the, at the funeral, and then you get a text message that tells you that something that you've been waiting for for a long time finally came in, and it makes you overjoyed. Now, you are overjoyed, Right? That's who you are. That's what it, what, but what do you do on the outside? Kind of tone down the expression, don't we? I can change how I express who I am. I just can't change who, uh, necessarily who I am at the moment. This is who I am. I am happy. I am angry. I am, but I can change how I express it. Because if you're in that funeral and all of a sudden you say, woo hoo <laughs> It's not going to go over so well. We have to be careful. I can change my expression of myself, but not myself. I can exchange my expectation of others, but not others. I can change my expectation of others, but I can't change them. Sometimes we put wrong expectations on other people. And when I don't get those expectations and I get mad, I get angry, whatever it might be that I, I get, we have the wrong expectation. You know, if you're, if you have a little, little one, they're two years old, and they want a glass of milk, right? And you say, well, you know where it is, go get it. And they go in the refrigerator, and they try the best they can to get that milk, and to pour it into the cup, and they spill it. 
Well, should you have uh, changed your expectations? You can't have the same expectation of a two-year-old that you would have of a four-year-old or you should have of a six-year-old or you have of a uh, eight-year-old or a ten-year-old. Your expectations change as they grow older. And if we were to expect them to have a certain level of perfection when they're very, very young and they don't measure up, we can do damage if we start yelling at them. Well, you idiot, why did you spill the milk all over the floor? Now we got a mess, now we have no milk. Are you happy? No, they're not happy. <laughs> you made them sad, you're sad. We spread it all around. You see, I, I needed to, to alter my expectation in that situation. Sometimes, though, even with grown-ups, we have wrong expectations of what people should do and how people should be. And because of those wrong expectations, it causes some things in me. Those things will sever. If, if you have a little two-year-old, they spilled milk, and you start yelling at them for spilling the milk, have you, what have you done to that relationship? You're, you're doing some things to sever that relationship. And, you know, parents who don't ever change that and keep going on and, and keep going on, they sour that relationship. The child's five, six, seven years old and can't stand the parents. Because they keep putting these things in. Well, I'm believing God that this will change. Well, not if you don't. I can change my expression of myself. I can change my expectation. Understand what you can change and what you can't change. Don't try and change what you can't. And don't expect what you can't to change. Don't expect it. Be glad if it does, but don't expect it. You know, we may, we may all look forward to the day that Chenzo eats vegetables. We may look forward to that day. We actually may look forward to the day that Chenzo eats more than seven things. Now, now Chenzo, he has, he is totally happy with the seven things. You will never hear him say, well, I'm tired of, uh, of eating these seven things. He, he doesn't. What do you want to have to eat? Mac and cheese? You just had that. Yep. I want it again. He's got his, he, he, you ask him, he'll tell you, this is what I want. Aren't you tired of that? Nope. Now, your expectation may be that the child might get tired of eating this sort of stuff, but that's an expectation you're putting on them. You may want to try and help, you know, branch them out and get them into tasting some other things. Now, when I was growing up, we didn't have a whole lot of the choices of cereal. We had, um, uh, it's, it's not like it is out there now. Uh, and when I was growing up, Cheerios made one, one flavor. One flavor, that's it. Now where they have five, six, seven, I don't know how many, they got all kinds of Cheerios. I mean, you can Cheerios with all sorts of stuff out there. And, but we just had the one, you know, the yellow box. The yellow, no sugar added. I don't think that sugar added. It was pretty bland. And, uh, but that's what I ate. That was my cereal. I didn't want Lucky Charms. I didn't want the little marshmallow things. I didn't want Frosted Flakes. That was another one that had the Frosted Flakes. I didn't want Frosted Flakes. Mom would go to the store. Steve, what cereal do you want? Cheerios. Aren't you tired of Cheerios? Nope. And I would have Cheerios pretty much every morning for, for breakfast. I don't mean I had a little bit of Cheerios. I had a lot of Cheerios. I would have a big bowl. That big box that had that super big box, that wouldn't be good for more than four days. So my mom went to the store. She'd have to buy several of the big boxes in order to hold us over until the next time that she, she went on out. Then I just would eat those things. And, and she, every time she would go, 
she would faithfully say, Steve, what, else, what do you want for cereal? Cheerios. <laughs> Just constantly say it. Now, there, there is a day, you know, they would come that I would expand and do other things. And eat, eat other ones. You know, I started eating the, uh, what's those little, little tiny, uh, shredded wheat things? Yeah, I started eating those. Uh, not the frosted ones. Don't give me none of that sugar stuff. Just the ones, you know, just plain. Yeah, everybody says that's cardboard. Yeah. No, it was good. I just, you know, just like that, put some milk on it. Don't give me none of that sugar stuff, but I'm just, just like that. That was good. I, I, I like them. But, you know, I've expanded out into some other ones too. And, uh, and, and had stuff. But, um, uh, and some of them are more ex- socially acceptable. I like honey bunches of oats. That's a more socially acceptable cereal. But uh, <laughs> I like the, the other ones too. And um, uh, you, you may not. And that, that's okay. But you see, if, if, I, if other people try and push their expectations, you, you need to eat that. You need to try something else. You need to go out there and get this other thing. Don't push the expectations out there. I can have expectations for other people, but don't push them on them. What you'll do is you'll, you'll separate them. The more that we separate, the less support that we will have. Anyway, direction we didn't really, this is where you want to go. What kind of things am I supposed to be steadfast in? Now, I got a whole lot more beside the three things there, but that's all I could fit in there for your outline here. Here's the, here's the first thing. Things that you should be steadfast in, my beliefs. Beliefs are mental acceptance of and conviction of, or conviction in the truth. That is what a belief is. Mental acceptance of and conviction in the truth. Something believed or accepted to be true. Now, you gotta be steadfast in those beliefs, not move off of them. As you grow, those beliefs may change. As you learn more things, those beliefs may change, but you moved off of them not to change for other people. Oh, I see that. How many times have you had that eye-opening experience? Oh, I see that now. And you can change your belief. Some of your belief begins to alter to line up with the new thing that you that you learned is truth. So there'll be some some changes, some subtle changes, some small changes you'll make along the way. But you don't just drop something. You stay steadfast in your beliefs. Your truth, the truth that you know, it's, other people can't come up and change change it. How many of you believe something? I mean, we may believe something uh, about our health. I believe that to be harmful for me. Well, you're ridiculous for believing that. That's not harmful for you. I believe that it is. And we're not going to be moved off of that, right? If you believe that something is beneficial for you and somebody comes up and says, that's not going to help you. You're just wasting your money buying that and putting that in your body. But I believe that it's helping me. So, so if somebody comes up and they tell you something that's, that's harmful, that's not beneficial, whatever it might be, you don't just, you don't just change, do you? Now, if you gather more information, your belief may, oh, you know what? I was thinking that was helping, but I'm not so sure because I'm not really seeing the the stuff that I was uh, thinking I would see. And slowly that may happen. But somebody coming up to you and saying, oh, that's that's garbage. Don't put that in your body. Oh, that's that's just wives' tale that people say that you can't have that. Just don't don't do it. And, you know, we over the years, we talked about all kinds of things. You know, be, before when eggs got a, a bad rap. How many remember when eggs got a bad rap? I don't know if you remember back in the, but when eggs got a bad rap, I told you from here. I told you from the pulpit. That's one of the ones I remember. I said, don't you buy it. Eggs are good for you. 
And don't you know, it took them a couple years and they came back. You know what? Eggs are good for you. <laughs> no, I didn't change a thing. I ate eggs before they came out with that report. I ate eggs after they came out with that report. And now they're saying eggs are good. I'm still eating eggs. I didn't change a thing. Because my belief was not going to be altered by what these folks would say. My belief was formed by, by other stuff. And, um, you know, there, there are some things that I do that I eat regardless of my belief. How many of y'all have that? I eat avocados. I love avocados. I just love them because I love the taste. People will tell you, well, they're good for you. Well, I don't care. I really don't care. I would eat them if they were bad for me, and I would eat them if they're good for me. Why? Because I like them. <laughs> so we have some things in our life that way. I just like to do it. And, uh, and people are always trying to tell you, you know, you may be doing a certain kind of exercise program or a certain kind of diet. Have you ever picked up a certain kind of diet? And people say, oh, that'll hurt you. Oh, that'll, no, don't be doing that. That's going to, and you don't believe it because you did some research on it. You think it's going to be beneficial for you. We don't just let people change us. We hold on to those beliefs. So that's the first thing, your beliefs. Here's the second one, my hopes. Hopes are desires with expectation of obtainment. That comes from Webster's. Desires with expectation of obtainment. If you don't have that expectation of obtaining it, it's just a wish. But a hope is a desire with an expectation of obtainment. When you have a hope that is based on belief, that won't be changing. The Bible form of hope is we form a hope, a desired expectation based upon what the Word of God has said, what the Word of God has promised us. We're getting into Christmas time. The kids begin to are formulating lists as we speak. Kids are formulating lists. What kind of things do we want? I have a desire. That's not a, that's not just a wish list. This is a desire list that I have the, the expectation of this thing being fulfilled. Isn't that right? And certainly we see that when we were kids and we were growing up and we came down on Christmas day and we opened up all the presents. How many can remember a Christmas where you didn't quite get everything that you wanted? And instead of focusing on all the things that we got and the joy that was there, how many of us thought, oh, I didn't get that one? You see, that was a, that was not just a wish, that was a hope. I had an expectation that that thing would be fulfilled, that that thing would come about. So my, my beliefs, my hopes, the last one is my values, a collection. Values are a collection. I, this is my definition. I looked at about 10 of them. And I, I like this, I like that, I don't, so this is my own definition. A collection of guiding principles formed from what we believe to be correct and desirable in thoughts and actions. That's what a value is. A collection of guiding principles formed from what we believe to be correct. So our beliefs are there, but they're formed from what we believe to be correct and desirable in thoughts and actions. I should think this way. I should speak this way. These are values. If you get around our grandchildren and if they ask for something, you will hear out of each one, Lumi, not so much just yet, once in a while you see, but if they ask, may I have that, please. Mama and Papa are always instituting with them. May I have that, may I have that, please. And so it's just part of their how they do it. May I have that, please. I've had a little girl, she'll, she'll, 
she'll correct me sometimes at a restaurant because um, uh, some a, a waiter or waitress they may come to me and what would you like to drink? I'll have a diet coke, and she'll say you didn't say please. <laughs> and sometimes I think I did, but I, I thought I did, and I make sure that I that I correct it. Uh, she's she's listening for these. You didn't say please. She, they make sure that you say please and thank you. These are. These are, these are values that are instilled in them. They believe because, because of things they believe and have been instilled in them. They believe that their actions and their thoughts ought to be governed by these principles. Same please and thank you. And you can put other things in there. You can see where they, they go. But these are three things. They shouldn't change. They shouldn't change. You should continue to, to do this is the value that you have. Regardless of who's around. Well, they don't say thank you. Doesn't matter. You don't say thank you because other people do. You don't say please because other people do. You say please, you say thank you because of what's in you. That's, that's how you do it. In Romans 14.23 it says that whatever is not from faith is sin. Whatever is not from faith is sin. It's got to be from your, from your beliefs. So these are three things that should not change. My beliefs my hopes, my values. I don't change them for other people. I don't do other things because I'm around other people. You know, if you get around unsafe people, well, you should cuss some so that they feel at home. Uh, no. See, that goes against my values. I'm not going to cuss. You need me to cuss, there's something wrong with you. I'm not going to tell you not to. I'm not going to insist, well, no, don't do that in front of me. No, but you're not going to make me do it either. There's a value that's there. That's why a lot of people are having the, the, the fuss things that they are with the masks and the, and the vaccines. It's because other people are trying to push something on you that really they should only be able to push on themselves. You know, if a person wants to go out and get vaccinated, fine, go out there and get it. It's fine. But don't go making other people do what you think is right. I don't go around walking into a room and telling people, nobody can cuss now, I'm here. Now I put this, there's a lot of blanks in this one. Christians do live up to these two verses, or two, ver- two passages. <clears throat> but they tend to change what should be steadfast. And that steadfast, where, where it would be an advantage to change. We gotta make sure that as Christians, we make sure that the right things are steadfast, and also the right things change. Paul talked about some things that changed, other things that were steadfast. Now let's take a look at Acts chapter 21, verse 22. We're gonna take a look at this example here of this. What then? The assembly must certainly meet, for they will hear. This is Paul, he has come to Jerusalem, and so they've met with the elders there, and they, they're basically telling Paul, people have heard things about you. We know they're not true, but let's try and help them out. So the assembly must certainly meet, for they will hear that you have come. Therefore, do what we tell you. Do what we tell you. How many people have people that are always trying to get you to do what they tell Look, just, just do this. Just do this. We have four men who have taken a vow. Take them and be purified with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads and that all may know that those things of which they were informed concerning you are nothing, but that you yourself also walk orderly and keep the law. 
But concerning the Gentiles who believe, we have written and decided that they should observe no such thing except that they should keep themselves from the things offered to idols, from, from blood, from things strangled, from sexual morality. Then Paul took the men and the next day, having been purified with them, entered the temple to announce the expiration of the days of purification, at which time an offering should be made for each one of them. Now when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against the people, the law, and this place. And furthermore, he also brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city, whom they supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. Many people... Just like this, they get upset over stuff, things they assume, things they suppose. They don't know. And all the city was disturbed and they ran together, seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple and immediately the doors were shut. Now, people are trying to figure out what was this vow that they were doing? What did this, was this vow that, uh, that they brought Paul into? And uh, I didn't write it down in, in here, but you can go back and, and take a look at it in... Oh, I did write it down in here, Okay. In Acts chapter 18 and verse 18, So Paul still remained a good while. Then he took leave of the brethren and sailed for Syria and Priscilla and Aquila were with him. He had his hair cut off at Chenchrea, for he had taken a vow. So in chapter 18, he shaved his head to to, uh, take a vow. And here in this one, they're saying, join with these other men. They're going to shave their heads, pay their expenses, and you know, which is basically the offering. It would seem like the vow that Paul has taken is a Nazarite vow. Because when you start a Nazarite vow, it starts with the shaving of the head. And when you end a Nazarite vow, it ends with the shaving of the head. It's not all like Samson, that his whole life was supposed to be that way. So this is what the, what it is assumed that he probably was. He had already taken the vow. And most times, it had, at least it had come to be, this is not something that's in the Bible, it's something that came to be, is that if you were to take a Nazarite vow, you were not allowed to present the offering and shave your head until you were in Jerusalem. Now, that couldn't have been going on when Samson was there because they didn't even control Jerusalem. But it did eventually come into a place where it was was uh, of such. In fact, there was a, a, a noted case of where somebody had, um, <clears throat> uh, what do you call it, the, uh, they had taken a Nazarite vow for seven years, this, this woman had taken a Nazarite vow. And at the end, she uh, did what she was supposed to do, made the offering, a sacrifice, and shaved her head. And, uh, but she didn't do it in Jerusalem. And so they actually, the powers that be in, in there, made her start all over. <laughs> and when she, so she did a Nazarite vow for a whole another seven years. And at the end of it, then she shaved her head again and, uh, and, and did all that. That was an actual case. That had, uh, that had gone on. So Paul may have made this vow and was waiting until he got to Jerusalem to conclu- conclude it. But it really makes no difference what it was. He had taken a vow. It didn't seem like he just took this vow when he got there. He had already been in this vow and he was basically coming to an end with them. So they said, do what we tell you. Here's this vow. Let's show the people. Now, when this riot began to, to break out, you know, the Romans had to come down and they had to use force and pull Paul from this group. Where did the people go who convinced Paul to do this? 
the people who told Paul, Paul, do this. Where'd they go? <laughs> they all said, Paul, we're on your side. We know that you're a, you're a person who uh, honors God. and uh, But tell you what, do this to help the other people. And so the other people saw him in there. They all got upset and started a riot. Where does the people go that try to get them to do this? To do this, You see, some people will pass themselves off. They're your support. They're your help. And they'll tell you things to do. But as soon as there's trouble, they're out. As soon as there's trouble, they're gone. Now, Paul, there are times that some of his, his, uh, the people on his team were in trouble in a riot, and he wanted to go out there to them. And they had to restrain them. And there's other times where where Paul was out there, and some of his people wanted to go out there and pull him out. See, those are the real, real support folks, the people that will get in the thick of it, that they're with you when it's good and they're with you when it's bad. They'll jump right in there with you. Those are the kind of people that you want to raise up. These are the principles we want to learn about, that we can, we can have these going on in our life. See, people who truly support you, they won't leave you when the trouble starts. I don't know if I left this. I think I ought to take this out of your outline. But doing what people want or expect of you won't sow into them. If you do what people want or people expect of you, you won't sow into them. You're not sowing into them what they need. You're going to expect a harvest, but you're not going to get one. Because all you did was you give them what they want. Now, you know this to be true. You know this to be true. You're what? You're in the Walmart. How many were in Walmart this week? My hand is not up. I was not in Walmart this week. Something would really have to happen. But I was not in the Walmart. But I, I know people who were in the Walmart. And I know people who have been in the Walmart before. And so you have been in the Walmart. And you have watched the people in front of you. And the kid throwing the fit. I want gum! And... The mom and dad give him the gum. Have they sown anything into that child's life that would count as support? Are they going to reap anything good off of that? No. We all know that. You see, when you just sow into other people what they say they want, you are not building the support team that you need, but you're expecting it. Look at all this that I have done for all these people. I'm expecting that support to be there. And when I need it, they're gone. They're not there. Because you didn't sow what you needed. You didn't sow what was needed. Jesus sowed what was needed. He didn't just sow what they wanted. He sowed what was needed. They couldn't always handle everything that was needed, but he would find what they could handle. And he would give that to them. So doing what people want or expect of you won't sow into them what they need. And thus you won't yield a harvest of support when you need it. If you're ever wondering, I've been doing all these things for all these people, but no one is there when I need them. It could be. I'm not saying that it is. I'm saying it could be along this line. More often than not, if my thought is constantly going to the spot of what I have done and what others have not done for me, most of what I have done is flesh, not spirit. But I'm expecting to receive a spiritual return off of what I sowed that was flesh. 
How upset did Jesus get when his disciples all left him? How much did Jesus put into him? And that wasn't flesh, was it? And when they all left, how upset was Jesus? Was not upset, was he? There's no visible aspect of him. Because what he did was spiritual. That's the level, that's the place we need to get to. Now, they may have, they may have abandoned him then. But did they not come back with great force? And when Jesus was caught up to heaven, did the people he leave behind, were they a fantastic support? Did they not build a tremendous church in his absence? They sure did. So it wasn't all lost. Now, there will always be people who want you to change for them. You always have that. You need to understand what Paul was writing. What does God want you to change for the folks that are there? You see, if you never change, you're not going to, you're not going to build the support that you need. And if you always change, you're not going to build the support that you need. You know, if we have the little kids and they want to explain to us why something happened and we don't, I don't want to hear it. I'm not sewing into them. Sometimes I need to take time. All right, tell me. And they may give you some low-level explanation. <laughs> well, it happened. Well, <laughs> but you see, sometimes if we just sit there and listen to them and hear them, we can we can sow some good things. Also occurs every once in a while, something happened you didn't know. And if you did know it. Know what you can change and what you need to remain steadfast in. You've got to know these things. You've got to know it beforehand. I can change that. I can become that. But I cannot change this part over here. Strive to become more mature in your relationships. Don't settle for being the one others have to change for. If you know that other people say when you walk in the room, Oh, they're in a bad mood. Now, you ever been in a workplace and the boss comes in and the word goes around? They're in a bad mood. They're in a bad mood. Watch out. They're in a bad mood. Now, I remember this one movie. My wife and I, we were flying somewhere and we watched it. And we really enjoyed it. And unfortunately, the minute movie cut off because the plane was going into landing. It was the movie, um, uh, The Proposal. Um, son, what's her name? Sandra, somebody or other. Um, I can't think of what her name is. Anyway, <laughs> they, they were in it. And, and she was a real mean boss. And I just remember the, the scene that would unfold in the office area that whenever she would come in, the word just spread around on all the computer screens. And uh, they didn't have a very, very nice name for her, but they would just say, you know, she's in, she's here. And so everybody would begin to do things and change what they were doing because so-and-so was coming. If people in your life have to change what they're doing how they're going about things because you have entered. You are not sowing support in your life. When you need support, those people won't be there. They will not help you. But how many of you watched movies and the boss just endeared people and then the higher-ups, the corporate people, got on that boss and they were going to fire them? What happened to all the people? What did all the people do? They rallied around. We're going to help this guy. 
You fire him. We're leaving. That's the kind of thing that you want to do. But you see, if people have to dance around my feelings, if people have to dance around my moods, if people have to dance around what's going on with my life, I'm not sowing into other people. I'm distancing them. Don't wonder why you don't have the support. Don't get mad at them. Change who you are. Because you can change who you are. You can set that as a goal. This is where I'm going to be. Now, I wrote this down. How many remember that song that went around? I only remember because of the commercial. But they had this song, You Can't Always Get What You Want. Anybody remember that? I don't even know what they were commercialing for. <laughs> they had a commercial for some kind of thing. You can't always get what you want. And they keep going, you can't always get what you want. And uh, whatever they were advertising, it was on the commercial, it was on the TV. You can't always get what you want. So I changed it to this. You can't always get what you want, but you can always be what you should. You can't always get what you want. But you can always be what you should. Nobody can change you from being what you should. Don't let them. If you do, then you have altered it. You've got to become that kind of a person who changes what needs to change in order that you might help that you might win, that you might minister to the more, but stay steadfast in those things that you stay steadfast in. We've got a lot of details on Paul's life. He's a person that you can look at. What kind of things did Paul change? What kind of things did Paul not change? What did he adjust to people? What kind of things did he not adjust? And you can look at the life of Jesus too. Jesus will walk in. This is what the Father wants to accomplish. But they won't let me accomplish this. He could do their no mighty work because of their unbelief. So where can we go? Well, we can lay hands on some sick people and we can get them to recover. Let's do that. He found a way. He didn't just say, look, you guys aren't going to take what I came in here to give you, so I'm leaving. He didn't do that. What can we give them? Look at the people that are around you. Look at the people that are in your life. What can you do? Don't let your flesh rise up and distance all the people around you. Take all those things that maybe you have sown correctly and flush them down the toilet because you're in a mood. Because you have disappointments in people. Jesus and Paul are phenomenal examples. You could say, what would Paul do in this situation? How would Paul respond? How would he would he change? Or would he stay steadfast? So you can't always get what you want, but you can't always be what you should. Would you all stand up with me? Glory to God. Father, I thank you that in our life your spirit is alive. You speak to us. You tell us things that we can change. You tell us things that we can alter. You show us how we can grow ourselves. You show us how we can grow others. You speak to us words of wisdom, nuggets from your truth, not just for our life, but for us to speak to other people, to put into them 
Help us to find out these opportunities with our spouses, with our kids, with our parents, with our bosses, with our co-workers, with our neighbors, with our relatives. How can we change to be what is needed? But how do we stay steadfast on those things that we always should? If we get that balance, if we walk in that way, we will have lots of people to help and support us when we need. The enemy is always trying to get us to have wrong expectations of the people in our lives. Because if he has the wrong expectations sown on the inside and they aren't realized, he can fan to a flame the flesh responses that come and drive people away from us so that we are all alone when we face trouble. But that's not how you would have us to be. And I thank you that you lead us elsewhere. You lead us in a different direction. We don't follow after our flesh. We pursue the things of our spirit. Give you the glory and the praise for it. We thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Glory to God. All right. Well, before you go, Saturday we're going to be heading out to the Walmart parking lot. We're not going inside. Scary people are inside. No. no, but the scary people that are going to go inside, they're going to be outside. And so we're going, to, we're going to minister to them outside. we got some gift cards that we want to give them. These are things that you're just going to give them. You're going to look for an opportunity to pray with them. Invite them out to church. They're right down here on the road. They don't have to go very far. If they would go that far for Walmart, they can go up here to the church too. If you'd like to be able to, to join on that, meet here at the church at 1030. We'll go over a few things. Our goal is to be down there at the Walmart parking lot by 11. Love to have you join us. We're not asking you to spend all day there. We're only going to be probably, if, depending upon how many come, we may only do uh, two a piece, uh, maybe three. Or, or maybe we'll go get some more too if we, if we run out. But um, this, is a, this is a great place for you to be able to take all that God has put in you and help other people. Just picture yourself all week long meeting up with a stranger and letting God speak through you as you minister and pray over them. What can I pray with you for? And they're going to ask you for some ridiculous things. It's all right. You know the word. Help them. You know what? This is, this is what we can pray. This is what the Bible teaches us. This is what the Bible says. I'd like to be part of that be here at 1030. If you can't be here at 1030, you can just find us down in the Walmart parking lot. I'm sure we won't be too hard to discover. But we'll meet here at 1030 and then uh, head on down there. Our goal is to be there at 11. So uh, if you have any questions on that, see me on the way out. Talk to my wife. Talk to Melissa. Uh, whoever you want to, whoever you can get hold of. And that will be going on. The outreach meeting we were going to have today will postpone because a lot of people couldn't make it out here today who would have liked to have been part of that. Have a great rest of your day.